shall we pray? Father Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you that you made it possible for us to be here. We have come before thy throne of grace. We've come to say thank you for who you are, for what you are doing in our lives, for the direction, the level that you are taking us. Lord, we cannot appreciate you enough for you are so good. But we say may your name be highly exalted in Jesus' name. Lord, as we are going to hear from you, I pray that you be in our midst. Open our spiritual eyes and ears that we may hear and behold the wondrous things out of your words. And blessed be your name. Amen. Last two weeks, um, when Brian rang me, he said, uh, Rufus, can we do the book of Revelation? I was like, Brian, if the Lord put it in your heart, let's give it a shot. This is one book that I have to confess. <laughs> I'm not, you know, too, I don't visit it too frequently. So somehow, I was like, okay, maybe this will be the time to pay attention to it. And thank God, last week, he gave a very, very good and elaborate overview of the book. And we are made to understand that Revelation is an apocalyptic prophecy with an epistolary introduction addressed to seven churches in Roman province of Asia. And according to chapter 1, verse 1, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. The title of the book, Revelation, came from the Greek word, Apocalypsis, and from that comes the word apocalypse and the word apocalyptic, meaning the revealing of divine mysteries, unveiling or a disclosure of something not yet known. And Apostle John was divinely chosen to write down what, he, what was revealed to him, what he saw in his vision, and send to the seven churches that were in Asia Minor. And these churches 
includes the Ephesus, Smyrna, Pagamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Lodesia. This morning, we will take um, our text will be taken from the second chapter, one to seven, and we'll focus on the, the letter to the Church of Ephesus, and it's titled "The Loveless Church." The Loveless Church. It's not a cool title. But that's the message. That's what God wants to address. And although John wrote, the seven, wrote to the seven churches at that time, the purpose of the book was to strengthen the faith of members of these seven churches by giving to them the assurance that deliverance from evil powers arrayed against them was close at hand. Yet, the message is relevant to us today. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to us today in different things, but chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the word of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. We don't need to go too far to know that the time is at hand. Uh, the time is at hand. Why? A lot of things are happening so fast. We are jumping from one stress to the other, from economic meltdown to COVID, from COVID to war. We don't know what's next. But as believers, as Christians, we should not be ignorant of the time. The Bible has already made it known that this is the end time. The time is at hand. Therefore, we should be more serious in our approach, in whatever we do, in our relationship with one another, in relationship with God. We have to show Christ that is in us. But for a better understanding of the, and the purpose of also the relevance of these letters to the seven churches, we need to look at the state of the church as well as Christians at that period. As one commentator put it, imagine what it would have been like to live at the end of the first century. Your city is part of the Roman, Roman Empire. You are a Christian and a member of a local church. There is only one church in your city. Your nearest church neighbor is over 40 miles away. There are good 
Roman roads. You could travel on your horse. You might reach your nearest neighbor in less than a day. Your leader is John the Apostle, but the ruler have sent him away to another country. The reason was that he was a Christian. There are no large meetings where Christians worship together. There are no Christian books to encourage you. There is no New Testament to give you hope. There have been many earthquakes in your country. There have been many local wars. You are afraid about many things. You wonder what will happen next. Your neighbors do not like you. You are different from them. You have a different religion. Every day you are in danger. You turn to other religious groups for help, but there is no help from them. They do not agree with your religion. They even report you to the authorities. They say that you do not believe in God. The rulers of the nations do not feel confidence. They think that other people want to become leaders. They fear that another will take their place. They are jealous of any religion, any new religion. They see other people as danger to their authority. They bring in new laws. The nation has become their religion. Their leader has become their God. Moreover, he is the only one that you may worship. And you ask yourself whether you may one day bow down to a strange God. It will be easy to do this. As some of your Christian brothers and sisters have already given up. They have turned away from Jesus Christ, their Lord. As we learned last Sunday, the seven churches were in Asia Minor at the end of the first century. We have a description of their situation in Revelation chapter 1 up to chapter 3. It was a time of great trouble for Christians. Persecution had started 25 years earlier. It had begun in Rome. The emperor Nero had persecuted them. The emperor Domitian is now the ruler. The authorities in Rome hate the Christians. The rulers in Asia are also beginning to hate them. They have sent the Apostle John to a little island called Patmos, a rocky and dry land without much plants. It is eight miles long and five miles wide. It is 40 miles away from the mainland of Asia. It is about 65 miles from Ephesus. 
He was probably not a, a prisoner. One of the rulers in Asia had sent him there, as you can see in chapter 1, verse 1. John had a special relationship with the seven churches, but he was alone. He could not visit his friends. He knew that persecution was increasing. It affected all the believers in Asia. So he write to them. He want to help them to be strong. God brings message to John. The message is for Christians in the seven churches. The message in this book of Revelation, and it is relevant to us today. The question is, can the church, indeed Christians, in this present dispensation, relate to the plight of the seven churches? If you ask me, the answer is a big yes. The tactics or the modus operandi may not be the same, yet the church is still under attack. Christians are still under persecution. Aggressive paganism is the order of the day. The state and authority still hate the church. Wickedness and sinful legislations against Christian belief is on the rising. Rulers still see themselves as gods and are tirelessly working against the one and the only true God, Jesus. We are still living among idol worshippers. Our neighbors still hate us. We are still being terrorized and living in fears of the modern day emperors. The fate of many believers is waxing cold. There are now more false teachers and false prophets than ever. Satan has pitched his tent in the church. But there is hope, a good news. Go with me to the second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. I read from seven. Seven to eighteen. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, 
struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body and dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus, for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal life flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise, up, raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose hearts, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In a nutshell, what is going on today? The state that we are passing through, the afflictions, the persecution, all these things, there is hope. As long as we put our faith in him, Christ, we are all victorious. We are all conquerors. And the Lord will continue to see us through. Let's look at the first letter sent to Church of Ephesus and captioned the loveless church and attentioned to the angel of the Church of Ephesus. And you can find that in Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, I read from 1 to 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, This thing says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walk in the midst of the seven golden lampstand, I know your I know you I know your work your labor your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who said they are apostles 
and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored to my labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have less, left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first work, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. According to one commentator, Pagamon was the official capital city of, region, of the region called Asia, but Ephesus was the most important of the seven cities. Ephesus has the largest harbor in Asia. It was one of the River Caster and was it was on the river Kester and was the nearest of the seven cities to the Patmos. It involves it involved a sea journey of about 60 miles. It was a nodal city and all roads in Kester Valley went into Ephesus. People coming to Asia from Rome who come through Ephesus. Much of the trades from the east came through the port of Ephesus. It was a rich business center. Ephesus was an important religious center as well. It was the center of worship of the goddess of Artemis, the goddess of fertility. Sometimes her name is Diana of the Ephesians. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders, interesting and important place in the ancient world. Artemis and her temple were important to the people of Ephesus. Romans called their Roman emperors Claudius and Nero gods and they also had famous temples in Ephesus. There was too much false religions and magic in Ephesus. There was sexual sins among the priestesses. The apostle Paul visited Ephesus and spent over two years there. He started the church there, as you can see, in the book of Acts of Apostles, chapter 19, 8 and 10. Silver model 
of Diana's temples are sold in Ephesus. And when Paul preached, he badly affected that trade. It caused great confusion in the city. Luke described this in Acts chapter 19. Later, Paul sent his important letter to the Ephesians. Ephesus has the most famous game in Asia, which they had every year. Verse 1 of chapter 2. The greeting is to the angel of the church in Ephesus. But there is no doubt the message is to all the Christians in the church. It comes from Christ who is alive after death. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. As we can see in chapter 1, verse 16. Ministers of Christ are under, under his special care and protection. And this means that Christ holds the church, the churches, in his hands. The word, the word holds here has a stronger meaning. It means firm grip. Christ has complete control over the church. We are safe in his hand. Jesus said, they shall never die. No one shall steal them out of my hand. John 10, 28. Christ grips all the churches in his hand. He holds the whole church in his hand. He walked in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. In the Old Testament, there are references to God as he walked among his people. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12. Daniel 3, 25. The lampstand represents the church. Christ is always active in the middle of his churches. He loves them and cares for them. Jesus said, where two or more come together in my name, there am I in them, with them. Matthew chapter 18, 20. In verse 2, Christ knows what happened among his people. He chooses three things. One, I know all about the things that you do. Two, I know about your hard work. It is work that makes you very tired. The church at Ephesus was an active church. There were busy people. They looked after sick people. They taught young people. They cared for the old. Every member did something for Christ. 
Three, I know your perseverance, your strong effort. Their neighbors were not friendly and many hated the Christians because of their belief. God is saying to you today, I know about it and I will do something about it. The Christians at Ephesus refused to worship the emperor and they refused to worship Diana of the Ephesians. Jesus said to them, I know your perseverance. The Christians did not give up. Life was hard for them. They were brave people. They accepted the hard things and they turned these things into good. They showed the love and grace of Christ in their lives. They showed the light of Christ to their neighbors. <clears throat> so, excuse me. The next thing that Christ approves is that the Christians do not accept evil people. There were men who claimed to be apostles. The Christians at Ephesus have tested these evil men. They have proved that they tell lies. They saw that these people are not true apostles. They are false apostles. These men do not understand the truth. They told lies. They taught people things that were lies. And Paul had warned that evil men will come to the church. They will be like wild animals. So you can see that in Acts chapter 20, 20 verse 29. Jesus too had warned about this in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Ephesus was on the main road to Rome and to the east. So many evil people would travel through Ephesus. All these things were happening there. The Christians tested these false apostles. Paul asked the Thessalonians to test all things then they should hold on to what is good. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 21. Paul asked that Christians should test what the prophet said. He said, by their fruits, that you will know them. That is the things they do. You will know them. Matthew chapter 7, 15, 20. The Christians in Ephesus used the tests. They found that these apostles were false. Verse 3. The real Christians in Ephesus have passed the test. They continue to live as Christians. They continue to be faithful to Christ. They live for the name of Jesus, their Lord. They have many troubles, but they refuse to give way. They have not become tired. However, in verse 4, Christ says, you have lost your first love. This could mean different things 
It could mean you have lost your love for ordinary people outside the church. People that no one loves, you have lost your love for them. You have stopped loving ordinary people. It could also mean that you have stopped loving one another. The Christians at Ephesus had really loved one another. This was in the early days. They had agreed with one, one another. They had a common purpose, but something had gone wrong. Maybe they have started looking for faults in one another. They pointed to other members. They accused them of accepting false teaching. But right teachings cannot replace love. Jesus said, you must love each other as I have loved you. John 13, 34. Without love, all thing else is nothing. It could also mean that you do not love Jesus as you used to do. You do not love me now as you did at first. You have neglected your first love. The word has a strong meaning. In their first love, they were eager and excited. But now, that love had gone. Verse 5 Christ called the Christians at Ephesus to come back to him. They should do this in three ways. One, they should remember what they were like in the beginning. The loss of their first love have come slowly. It came little by little. They did not realize what was happening. They used to enjoy a close work with God. They should keep thinking about that. The story about the prodigal son is a classic example. Two, they should repent. And three, you should do the things that you did at first. You did certain things when you first loved Christ. Remember those things. Continue to do them. You must love people as you did at first. Love one another as you did at first. Turn back to God. Admit that you have done wrong things. Ask him to forgive. Ask for his help. There is a warning about what will happen if the Christians do not listen. They will have much trouble. It will happen quickly. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. I am coming. I will remove the alarm stand. This may mean that he will destroy that church. A church cannot exist without love. Christ gave them a choice. They have a choice to repent or not to repent. If they repent, there is hope for them. If they do not repent, there is no hope.
In verse 6, there is a hope, however. There is something that helped them. You hate the things that the Nicolaitans do. I also hate what they do, said the Lord. It may seem strange to say that Christ hates. Maybe we love someone very much. But we may hate something that they do. That we see is ruining their life. We therefore hate what they are doing. But we still love them. The Nocolitians were a heretical group that troubled the churches at Ephesus and Pergamos. You can see that in verse 15. Their teachings and practice were immoral and adulterous. Verse 14. They said that the law, the Ten Commandments, was no longer for Christians. Christians were free to do what they wish. The Apostle Paul did not agree with this. See Galatians chapter 5, 13. These people also argued that the physical bodies are evil. Therefore, a Christian is free to do what he likes with it. They gave further argument. They argued that Christ's grace, grace have saved us. Therefore, it does not matter what you do. You can do anything that pleases you. God's grace will protect you from trouble. This also is a false teaching. The standard of Christians are different from those of the people who are not Christians. We find Christian standard in what Christian leaders teaches us. We find them in our Bibles. The Christian neighbors in Ephesus lived by different standard. They were not careful about what they ate and drink. They had no rules on sexual relationship. To them, wrong behavior was normal. The false teachers claimed that they were not destroying the church, but improving it. That they were making it more favorable for people outside the church to accept the church. Just to pause here a little bit. This is one mistake that the churches are doing today. Lowering the standard in order to conform, in order to please the unbelievers. You cannot lower the standard. Standard of Christ must remain at all times. What will attract the unbelievers is the Christ in you. The love that you have for them. That's what will attract them. You cannot lower the standard in order for them to approve, your ch- to approve the church. The church has to approve. That's the mistakes of so many churches today. And that's why the standard is getting is, you know, at, the, at the ground. 
But praise the Lord, we are serving a living God. And at all times, we must maintain the standard. The life we live is just the, is just the story. That those out there, that's what they need to see. Who you are. You may not preach much, but the exemplary life you live, the lives you touch, the love you show, the kindness and the touch you give to ordinary people, that's what makes the difference, and that's the gospel. Praise the Lord. So what the Nicolaitans thought was very dangerous. The Christians at Ephesus must not follow them. Such ideas are a danger to the church today. The enemy can be inside the church as well as outside. Verse 7 concludes, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This phrase appears in each of the letters. This means every person that hears these things should listen to what the Spirit says. Jesus said the same to his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, and in other references. The Holy Spirit is always asking us to listen. The message is to the churches. It is not just to one church. It is not only for the Christians in Asia. They have lived a long time ago. It is for everyone who has an ear. In each letter, Christ is the speaker. But the word here are what the Spirit says. The word of Christ is the word of Spirit. Christ speaks to the Christians in his churches through the Holy Spirit, even as he ministers to us right now. Father, Lord, we thank you for your message. We thank you for how you've led us. Father, may it be like a, a, a seed planted inside a stream of water that it may germinate and bear fruit. Blessed be your name, even as you continue to lead us through the subsequent books. Guide us. We ask for your wisdom and guidance. And blessed be your name. We commit the rest of the week and all our activities into your holy hand. And as we depart here to our various homes, not out of your sight, not out of your love, guide us, protect us, Father, supply for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.